in a series called The Vow. In this month of February, the month of love, we've been talking about various vows because marriage is sacred. Okay? Marriage is not secular. Marriage is not man's idea. This was God's doing. And so when we approach marriage or the topic of marriage, we certainly ought to be looking into God's word. And so we've been looking at some various vows over the previous weeks. We looked at the vow of priority, and that vow said that I promise God will be my first priority and my spouse will be my second, that all of us as married couples or as soon-to-be-married couples should be looking to God first. Because when his love, when his grace, when his compassion touches and fills our hearts, we can then have that compassionate, merciful relationship with those that we're in marriage with and those in close proximity to us. So we talked about that. We talked about the vow of pursuit, that I, all, I promise to always pursue my two. A lot of marriage problems are because the two of you, once you got married, you stopped pursuing each other. And you started taking for granted and so we, we, we said, you know, we can't do that. we got to pursue our two. Because in life, there's plenty of pursuits that call for you, especially when you become parents. There's a, a lot of demand on you as parents or in your career life. But oftentimes, that priority of marriage, that pursuing gets lost. And so that was an important vow to look at. And then last week, we talked about the vow of partnership, that I promise our marriage will be about we, not me. Marriages are never successful when they are one-sided just doesn't work that way. So we looked at Ephesians 5. We looked at God's idea of what that marriage relationship of, of godly leadership and mutual submission should look like. And if you missed any of these messages, you can follow us on iTunes podcast there. Uh, eventually, we'll get our website back up to date where we can post new messages to it as well. Uh, but you can get all those messages also on a little round disc that's shiny that you put into a player. Some of you don't know what that is. Some of you wish we'd put them on LPs for you so you could put them on your record player, but we do have sermon CDs available for you uh, as well at no cost to you. You could request those using that connection card that Stephen had referenced earlier. Well, today I want to talk about the vow of purity, the vow of purity. I just got to tell you from the very beginning, purity is critical in your marriage relationship. Purity is critical. It's part of God's design that when two couples come together, we come together in purity. But one of the biggest challenges to marriage today, and one of the biggest reasons marriages end are over issues of impurity. And so we know that we need to safeguard this in our relationships. And after God created uh, all that we enjoy and see, each time he created something, he said that it was good. In fact, after the creation of man, he said what? It was very good. But there was a time when God said it wasn't good. Let's look at it. In Genesis chapter 2, if you have your Bibles today, if you don't have Bibles, there are some Bibles in the seats, uh, in the racks there. You can use those. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. Please take it. We want you to be in God's Word. Some of you use the Bible app as well, the YouVersion Bible app, and you can use that. In fact, our notes are available for you in that YouVersion Bible app when you go to Menu, More, and Events. You'll find Neighborhood Church there as well. But Genesis 2, so we're talking about the Bible is like just opened, right? We had in the beginning God created, and he created all these things, and it was good. And then in chapter 2, God says something is not good. Let's look at it. Verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Let's just pause there and say, it was never God's intention for man to find a suitable helper 
in the animals of the land, the sea, and the sky. And aren't you glad? All right? The point wasn't, well, I guess we're going to have to create something else because that's not going to quite work for a guy. All right? That's not like women were like a, an addendum to God's creation. Okay? The point was there is nothing else in all of creation God wants than one man and one woman to come together in marriage. And so God moves from there, and look at what happens. We see it uh, in verse 21. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. Don't do that this morning, please. And while he was sleeping, otherwise we'll take your ribs out. I'm just telling you right now. No. He fell into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones. And flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And verse 24 and 25 has been our foundation verse for this whole series. Let's look at it. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. But get this, verse 25. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now today, I want to talk about that. Now, men, don't chuckle when I talk about nakedness. I know there's a middle school boy inside of all of us that wants to come out when I say naked. Uh, just, if you can, just let it out quietly or, or just hold it in if you can. But we're going to talk about this for a minute because, you know, what? When, when God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he did not clothe them. Just think about that for a minute. He didn't clothe them. He didn't want to manufacture some artificial coverings to put on man. Now, this is not... A, a, you know, any kind of a plug for being a nudist or a naturalist. Okay, this isn't my point, but I want you to, to hear this. God's perfect will was for them to remain naked. However, as we think about this today, there's some things that are significant for us to understand about God's original design and the nakedness of humankind. And if we can understand that, it's going to help us as we come to this topic of purity and transparency and intimacy in our marriage relationship today. Because in the beginning of time, God intended marriage to be a place of total nakedness. And all the men said, no, just kidding. All right, so God intended marriage to be a place of total nakedness. Now, I'm not just talking physical. This is emotional. This is spiritual. This is mental. There needs to be, in God's perfect plan, when a man and a woman come together, that there could be an intimacy of knowing each other beyond just the physical elements of knowing each other. That there was to be a vulnerability, that there was to be a nakedness and no hiding, that we were to be all we are and bring all that we are to our, to our partner, to our spouse. That was God's design. And that was the condition Adam and Eve enjoyed, as we saw in, in verse 25. They were completely exposed before God and for each other, and they had no shame. They shared themselves totally in an atmosphere of intimacy and openness. And that kind of nakedness, that transparency, that, that intimacy is God's picture of a perfect marriage relationship. And although we're not created to completely expose ourselves just to anybody, and thank God for that, right? There's actually laws against that. But we're not created just to do that with anybody, but he's created for us a relationship within which we can create an atmosphere of trust, of vulnerability, and of intimacy where we can really be ourselves completely. And together we can pursue 
uh, an open and shameless life before God. That's what he wanted in marriage relationship. In fact, there was no other relationship that God has given where we can truly accomplish this kind of nakedness. And in marriage, we start out pursuing each other. We start learning about each other. We start with a desire really to reveal who we are to our spouse. But then things begin to happen in our relationships, and we begin to hide who we are, or at least portions of who we are from our spouse. And that is where we begin to see trouble. When we begin to clothe, when we begin to hide, when we begin to mask, that's when oftentimes trouble begins in our relationship because God designed the nakedness of marriage to include every area of our lives. And when we're able to undress ourselves in every area before our spouses without shame, without fear, then you're in a healthy place in your relationship. But not many couples can do that. A lot of couples have hidden things that they've not been able to, to bring before their spouse or to be honest with, with their spouse. And if you cannot expose yourself completely before your spouse, then it means you're hiding something. It means you're hiding. And that hidden thing needs to be exposed. Why? Because God has created us with a need for nakedness, a need to be vulnerable with those who we are closest to, vulnerable with our life partner, with our married couple. So why can't we do that? What's the primary obstacle to doing that? Well, as we follow Genesis from chapter 2 to chapter 3, we begin to see what the primary obstacle was. We need to look at the reason for the unnakedness of Adam and Eve. If they were naked and without shame, what happened that created this awareness they were naked? This unnakedness that took place. Chapter 3 shows us God had one command. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat from that tree, you will surely die. The death wasn't going to be physical, it was going to be of their soul, and the death of perfection that God had created in all of creation. And so chapter 3, we see the, the fateful story of the, the serpent deceiving Eve, and she takes the fruit, and she eats, and gives to Adam, who is with her, and he also eats. And together, immediately, their eyes are opened. Let's look at it. Verse, uh, and, and by the way, <laughs> I guess I got to go to the next slide first. Sin is the greatest obstacle to openness. If you... Uh, look at this story, you're going to see this. In your marriage, sin is the greatest obstacle to this sense of openness and intimacy. Look at it. Chapter 3, verse 7. After they ate, okay, this is, all the, the, this is after they ate the fruit. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from him, from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said to him, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? How many times did you see the word hid in that passage? Hid. It's a key issue of the challenges we face in marriage relationships. Where there is sin, there is hiding, there is covering, there is masking. 
You see, before Adam and Eve sinned, they had a perfect marriage. They were one flesh, they were naked, they were unashamed, and they were together in an intimate wonderland of love. I mean, it's like the epitome of beauty and intimacy and relationship in the Garden of Eden, how wonderful that must have been. But after they sinned, they were two lonely people hiding from God and hiding from each other. What a picture of our world and many of our marriages today. Two lonely people living in one house but hiding from each other and not living in open, transparent relationships. And maybe that's where you're at today. And I'm not here to cast stones, but I'm here to say it doesn't have to be this way. This is not God's design for marriage relationship. According to this passage, they lost their innocence instantly. And what did they do? They grabbed for covering. And Adam said, I'm going to wear the plants in this family, right? That's what he said. Yeah, that's what he said. Pretty sure. I'm going to wear the plants in this family. And uh, they were naked. So they covered. They covered. And then, then what did they do when God confronted them? Not only did they cover, what did they do? They redirected the focus away from them to their spouse. So there was nakedness exposed, covered, and then deflecting the, the problem or the fault to somebody else. And how often this happens in relationship even yet today. So what happens when we sin? We hide. And when we let sin into our life, it brings its friends. And who are the friends of sin? Shame and fear. And shame is that way the enemy has of connecting our act to our identity. Yet we're all broken people. We have done wrong. But shame turns doing wrong into being wrong. And when we begin to believe that we're bad, that we're wrong, that, that we're terrible, that we are what we do, when it comes to our brokenness, then the enemy has won and shame will cause you to hide. And because of that shame of feeling like you're bad, you can't, tell your, you can't be open with your spouse because you're afraid, what is he or she going to think if I told them really what's going on in my life? They won't trust me. They won't maybe even love me. If they really knew what was going on in my life or if they knew what had happened in my history, then they wouldn't love me. They wouldn't trust me. And so we hide because of fear. And so that shame and that fear then leads to secrecy. And here's the thing I've been talking about before. Secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. Secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. Where secrecy exists in your marriage, intimacy dies. And the truth is, in a lot of marriages today, there is secrecy. There are couples not being completely naked in all areas of their life with their spouse. And that secrecy is robbing you. It's robbing you. You don't have the relationship you want or the intimacy you want because this secrecy is robbing from you. And it's destroying your relationship. And the terrible news is we're allowing it to happen even though it's preventable. God can help us turn the tide. So how? By embracing the vow of purity. And here it is. I promise to confide in you and not hide from you. I promise to confide in you and not hide from you. When couples can truly confide in each other and they can be completely open and vulnerable and honest with each other, it helps maintain and safeguard purity in your relationship. But how many know when that's not there, there's suspicion. There's a lack of trust. Because secrecy, even though it's not known, is felt 
in your relationship. And some of you know what that feels like. You know that distance that it brings when there's a secrecy. You know that sense of masking that's happening by your partner when you try to get to a certain point and it's shut off to you. So what do we do? There are seven steps that can safeguard or, or help us bring purity into our marriage. And I want to give them to you quickly. Seven steps. And these aren't going to be like rocket science. Oh, I've never thought of that. But how many know that most of the time it's, it's, we know what we should do, we just don't do it, right? So I'm going to remind us of what we should do and then tell you, we need to do it. We need to do this. Step one, take responsibility for your own behavior. Don't focus primarily on your spouse. Don't do the Adam and Eve thing. The woman, you put in here. It's all her fault. And then Eve, what'd she do? The snake, you put in here. It's all his fault. And so we deflect. Don't do that. Don't point fingers across the room to your spouse. You cannot change his or her behavior, but you can change your own with God's help. So it's got to start here, not with your spouse. I know we all have he shoulds and she shoulds, and I get it, but stop, because it's got to start with you, because you're the only person you can change. Luke 6, 41 says this way, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Some of you are walking around the house, you got like a plank coming out of your eye, and you're pointing fingers at your wife or your husband about the little speck in theirs. And I've often told people, could it be the speck in your spouse's eye is coming from the plank of your own, and you just don't know it's there, and you're not dealing with it? Deal with it. It goes on to say, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So take responsibility of your own words, your own actions, and build an atmosphere of purity and trust in your relationship by dealing with your own behavior and owning it. Owning it. It's one thing to admit it's there, then take ownership of it and begin to be responsible with what you know is broken in you and change. Number two, do not return sin for sin. Do not return sin for sin. 1 Peter 3, 9 says this way, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. If we would just obey that as couples, it would begin to deflate most of our marital arguments. Because what do we do? We return insult for insult, evil for evil. But it says, on the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so you may inherit a blessing. You see, revenge and retaliation will never solve your problems in marriage. If anything, it will just create more for you. But we do this. Maybe you don't know what it looks like, but it looks something like this. Sometimes it's just the very hurtful words you say back that are just totally sinful and hate-filled. Other times it's more subtle. It's when the wife maybe is neglecting your physical needs, and so you turn to pornography to meet those needs. You're returning sin for sin. Maybe for others, it's your husband's not meeting that emotional need you have, that connectedness. So rather than dealing with that, you go find that somewhere else, and you're returning that sin for sin. We don't do that. Instead, we recognize there's an issue here. I'm not going to return evil for evil. What I can do is I can work on me and return purity in the void where there is a gap of separation between us. I can correct what is wrong and bring that to the, to, the, to the field between us 
for a goal of being united and having that sense of intimacy once again. So do not return sin for sin. Number three, admit your faults. Admit your faults. Most marriages, if we could just own up and confess our problems to each other, there would be healing rather quickly. But we don't do that. We're not very good at that. We're, we're good at admitting somebody else's faults. We're not good at owning our own. So admit your own faults. Sometimes the heartfelt, sincere expression of, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? That can heal a marriage quicker than almost anything else. Just owning it and heartfelt, not by coercion, but a heartfelt apology can make all the difference in the world. However, for the person who refuses to say he or she is sorry, they're going to suffer in that marriage, and your marriage will also suffer with it. Humility and honesty are two virtues in a marriage that pay very great dividends. But pride and self-deception, not seeing it in yourself and thinking the problem is somebody else's, that will continue to make vulnerable exposure too risky. I can't trust you. You don't see your own problems. How can I trust you with mine, right? And so it shuts down a sense of openness and intimacy. James chapter 4, verse 6, and then chapter 5, verse 16 says it this way, that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, so therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Do you want healing in your relationship? Do you want healing? It's going to begin with confessing, admitting. And the reality is your spouse maybe already knows and is just waiting for you to own it and admit it. So admit. And then when that happens, number four, forgive one another. Forgive one another. Forgiving off, um, is, is one of God's things that he takes very seriously. Okay, I want you to just look at in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. This is a very serious issue with God. James said, or Jesus says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. We love that part of the verse. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. A lot of our homes are torn apart by unforgiveness because we wear unforgiveness on our faces. It comes out in our words and our actions. It bleeds into our relationships. And even if that unforgiveness was something from your past that you brought to your relationship and you've never resolved it, but that unforgiveness is at work, it's going to grow friends while you're married. And it's going to find a way to work itself into your marriage relationship as well. I like to say it this way. A dead rat in the attic makes the whole house stink, right? So if there's unforgiveness that you bring to the relationship, it's going to ruin everything. It's going to ruin everything. And so we need to be quick to forgive. And I know that's hard. People say, but I just can't. If you would understand my story, you would know I couldn't forgive. And I tell you this with all of my heart. you got to do what the Bible says to experience the blessing of what God has for you. You don't feel your way into forgiveness, friends. You're never going to feel like forgiving. But you do it because it's an act of the will. And from that, feelings will begin to flow, okay? So don't say, well, I'll forgive when I feel like it. But here's what I'm going to tell you right now. You will never feel like it. Therefore, you will never forgive. It's just the truth. Apply it to any area of life, but especially to your marriage. 
You're not going to feel your way there, so you're going to do it. And from that, feelings will begin to flow. And then once you have truly forgiven, don't bring it up. Isn't it true that once we get into an argument, every past failure comes to light all of a sudden? And you're kind of going, wait, 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 I thought we, I thought we forgave and moved. But isn't it interesting how we, we have a great memory? I love that verse in Scripture that talks about God's forgetfulness as it relates to sin, that he's not going to hold that against you. Yet how often do we do that against our spouse? Now, I know there are times when your spouse offends you in the same way, and that becomes a history that you have to speak to. You're not bringing up a past failure when it's the same thing again. That's a track history. But what I'm talking about is when something unrelated comes up and you want to throw all that person's failures now in front of them that you already forgave, that's not fair, and that's not forgiveness. Okay? So when we forgive, we need to learn not to use that now against our spouse, which happens when we're adding insult to insult. Okay? So we're not going to do that. We're going to step forward with transparency. We're going to own our own junk, and we're going to move toward purity. Which brings number five, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth. That's needed in marriages. And some of you are really good at speaking truth in anger. And I'll just tell you right now, you want to shut any part of your spouse down quickly, you share truth in anger. It might be right. It might be true. It's the wrong way to do it, and it will not accomplish what you want. You don't, in anger, Share truth with your spouse. The defenses go up. The heart is not ready and or willing to receive that truth. And it will shut you down, and you'll both continue to railroad each other. It's not going to work. But speak the truth. What's the context? In love. What does that mean? That means I know there are issues in my marriage that we need to talk about, honey, but we're not going to do this when the emotions are on the high spectrum of the chart. We're going to do this when we can talk about it without the immediate heat of emotion getting in the way. Now, will emotion come out in conversation? Probably. But it will come out a bit differently in an environment of love. And when you get ready to have that kind of conversation, here's here's the best advice I could give you. Even if you're not very much the kind of couple that prays together yet, when you're about ready to have a, a speak the truth in love moment, you need to pause and say, Jesus, we need you in this moment. Why? Because he's about grace and truth, okay? Jesus came full of both, grace and truth. And how many know that our marriages need truth, but we also need grace? We need both. And so we invite the Lord of grace and truth into these moments and invite him to protect our hearts and allow us to speak freely. Because the chances are you're going to feel attacked when your partner speaks the truth to you in love. But you need to separate the act from your identity. Remember, that's what shame does. Shame says, I am what I do. No. Your spouse loves you enough to have this conversation in love. Don't put your personality into it. And I always tell folks, if you can, speak I statements, not you statements. This is how I feel when this happens. Or this is how I felt when, and you speak from your own perspective. That keeps you from attacking your partner. But speak that truth in love. And why? Because it needs to be dealt with. Because if you continue to live with the secrecy or live with the sin in your relationship, you will continue to flounder and struggle. And it's not going to do you or your spouse any favor. So you speak the truth in love. And in that environment, God's grace begins to step in. You pray together and you follow these other steps we've already talked about. But speak that truth in 
love. Ephesians 4.15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we in all things grow up, which a lot of us need to do in our married life. Okay, We just need to grow up. Grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. Okay, there's enough falsehood in our marriages. Put it off and speak truthfully to his neighbor or spouse. We're all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. And do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Here's what happens when we allow unforgiveness and anger to continue to be there without speaking truth and love. It gives the devil an opportunity. It gives an open door. And all he needs, friends, is a crack in the window to break into your house. He doesn't need every door to be open. He needs one vulnerable entry point. So we don't do that. We speak the truth. We do it with the, with the understanding of love and reconciliation and working through our, our, our challenges. So don't wait to confront when you're angry. Deal with the matter when it's at hand and when it's small and when the emotions aren't through the roof, Okay. Because some of you know that over one simple thing, like I talked about before with, with, with burnt macaroni and cheese, all of a sudden, every bad thing from the past comes out over a pot of burnt mac and cheese. Why? Because you never dealt with it. You let it just stay there. Okay? So speak truth in love. Wait for the right moments to do that. Number six, pray for each other. I know I already kind of said that before, talking about speaking the truth in love, but this is even after. Because how many know that after you speak to your partner in love and in truth, they may not say, oh, thank you, honey, for pointing out all of my brokenness and vulnerability. I love you for doing that to me and making me feel like a turd, right? (laughs) Not many are going to do that. So some might receive it and desire change. Others may not. So what do you do? You pray for them. You pray for them. And you don't pray out loud so they hear how you're praying at them. Okay? If you're going to pray blessing, let them hear. If you're going to pray how bad they are to God and air the laundry with God about what a terrible person they are, then just save your breath. Pray for them. Why? Because God can do work you can't do. Don't play the Holy Spirit in your spouse's life. Just don't do that. Pray. Let God begin to do the work in his timing. Remember, his timing is perfect. And you don't know what's going on entirely in your hidden spouse's life when they've been keeping things secret from you. God's got to sometimes do a deep work that takes some time. So pray. Pray. James 5.16, I'm going to say it again. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Why? What's the goal? So that you may be healed. That's what I want for marriages. That's what I want for your marriage and my marriage is healing. And it happens when we speak truth and love and we pray. And finally, number seven, I'm going to end it here. Seek healthy relationships. Seek healthy relationships. Some of you have friends that are toxic. You just do. And, and, and it's, I know they're your friends, maybe from high school, or maybe from the college days, or maybe they're your neighbor and you just can't get away from them. But you know what I'm talking about. Some people you're around are toxic. And when you're with them, your relationship suffers. And some of you know what I'm talking about. There are some people out there who have advice about your marriage, and it is not godly advice. You've been given some wonderful advice from a loving person who's very unkind and very impure, and they've told you to dump the slum bag because he's just never going to change. Look at what 1 Corinthians 15.33 says. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. 
If you're on a pathway to a pure marriage for you and your husband or you and your, and your wife, it is going to be difficult for you to do this if you're hanging around constantly with impure friends who do not have the same goal as you. Some of your friends live very corrupt married lives. They live very open married lives, but when I say open, I'm not talking about transparent and open relations. We're talking about anything goes in this thing called a contractual arrangement of marriage. And I'm just telling you, beware of the toxicity of friends that are not pursuing the same thing you're doing. If there are some couples like that, I'm not saying be legalistic and hate them. I'm just saying you got to be careful with what you're going to entrust certain friends with. And some of you go to advice to people about what's going on in your marriage, and they're not good people to go to advice with. They're just not. Because they're toxic. So what do you do? You look for healthy relationships. Right around you, there are some married couples who have been married for years, a lot more years than you have. And that's a great mentoring relationship. Find an older couple that you value and go to them for some advice. Seek out those healthy relationships. Get involved in a life group with other couples. We're all broken, but maybe the best thing for you is just to get around couples that do love Jesus with their hearts or are trying to be the best they can before God with the work of the Holy Spirit at work within them. And get with those kind of couples who will pray with you through our brokenness. So before we can experience all the beauty and the holiness of purity in our relationships, we must be willing to create an atmosphere where that purity is safeguarded. So here's the question. Are you willing to do the steps? Because some of you right now, you know that secrecy is plaguing your intimacy. You know it. You may not be able to put your finger on exactly what it is, but you know your spouse is keeping something from you. And it may not be the surprise birthday party. Okay, it's probably usually something far worse than a surprise birthday party. But that secrecy is felt. You can't live together, be involved in a secret sin, and that sin not bleed over and impact your partner. You just can't. So here's the question. Is there something in your life that could be introducing impurity into your marriage? Is there something in your life that could be introducing impurity to your marriage? You got to ask the question right now, is that a thing? Is that a relationship? Is that media? What is it that I am allowing into them that is actually going to be introducing impurity? I'm amazed, and this is maybe my own little soapbox. I'm take it for what it is. I'm amazed how many couples think they need to have pornography involved in their intimacy. Stop it. If you can't get creative enough with what God gave you for each other, you need help. Stop letting things come into your marriage relationship that are impure. And it's the subtle things of the enemy that whispers, oh, it's okay, you're married, you can do this stuff together. It is not safe. And I'm telling you, it's a foothold for the enemy to step into your marriage relationship. The window's cracked. Close the window. Second question, is there something in your spouse's life that you have not confronted and have not forgiven, but you know it's affecting your ability to love one another as you should. It's time to have the talk in love. If you know there is something there, you're not doing you or your spouse any favors by withholding it. Why? Because secrecy kills intimacy. And you will feel it in your relationship until you're willing to go there and be vulnerable in that loving manner, seek to make your home and your marriage a place where you can talk about those and you can be vulnerable and you can open up your nakedness to the things in life and talk to your spouse openly. And when you do that, 
Come on, tell me in your past experience when you have been able to be that way with a spouse that it has not increased the sense of intimacy in your relationship because you let your guard down. doesn't mean it's forgiveness to do it again and again and again to keep being the secret sinner. No, that's not the point. But the point is when you get it out in the open, when you rob sin of its secrecy, it doesn't quite have the stronghold it used to have. So talk about it. Proverbs 28, 13 says it this way. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. But the one who confesses and renounces them. See, two things. Confessing and then what? Renouncing it. I'm not doing this. This is repentance. Finds mercy. So purity is the atmosphere where love and intimacy find their deepest, most beautiful expression. Why do we want to rob that from our marriages? By letting little impurities and secrecies come into our life. Let me say it again, the vow of purity. I promise to confide in you and not hide from you. Let's stand this morning as we conclude this day. Maybe you're here today alone because secrecy robbed the intimacy of your marriage and it's ended. And you're here alone, and you're going, man, I wish I would have heard this a long time ago. There is still grace and mercy and forgiveness for you today. Maybe you're here, and your current relationship is plagued by secrecy. I want to pray for you today. This is not God's best for you. This is not God's best for you. And I want for you God's best. And I think that's what we want, really, We want that sense of connectedness and intimacy and relationships. So why let anything rob that? So I want to pray for you today. So if you're here with your with your honey or your spouse, just if you're if you're holding hands today, if you're doing if you're able to go there, hold hands. I'm gonna ask my wife, Trisha, if she's here in the room to come join me. Are you here? There she is. I'll step down. She's not a big fan of being on the stage. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today we stand before you as couples who long for what you spoke of. The beauty of marriage that you saw. That for moments Adam and Eve fully enjoyed. Must have been incredible. But as usual, sin robs us, and we let it do it all the time. So God, I pray for marriages right now in this room, that secrecy has been killing them. It's been eroding that intimacy, and they feel like two lonely people living in the same space hiding from each other behind their own masks. So God, I pray that we would take seriously the call to purity in our marriages. That no longer can the enemy rob or sin deceive, but that we would stand for purity And let it start with each part 
of the relationship, husbands, wives willing to own their own behaviors, to not return sin for sin, but to admit their faults. And in that admission, then forgiving one another and praying for each other, speaking that truth in love. And God, I pray that through this message today, there will be couples who are willing to sit down and have the uncomfortable conversation. But the goal is love and purity and intimacy and nakedness like never before in their relationship. So God, I pray that in this atmosphere of grace and mercy and love that only you can bring, couples will do that even this week. And that through that, God, I pray, strength on the other end, intimacy on the other end like never before. That we will hold seriously the vow of purity that I will confide in you, not hide from you. In Jesus' name we pray that over every household, every marriage. In Jesus' name, amen.